0: 45 meters back. Bernard Foley. got the legs. it's got the legs, the distance. Over! Over!
1: Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. Joined with me is my co-host, Lockie. Lockie, how are you this week, mate?
0: I am well, Mitch. Good to see you and I'm filled with state pride. I'm glad you are too. Riffing your Queensland Reds jersey. Good to be in the winner's circle this week, mate.
1: Yes, this is our Queensland Reds preview episode. If you are tuning in on YouTube, you can tell that I am wearing a a piece of Queensland rugby, uh, I don't know, supporter wear memorabilia. (laughs) But as Lachie so rightly pointed out before we hit record, it's the bluest I could possibly get with a Queensland Reds logo on it. So I'm still showing my, uh, my Waratahs bias through and through. But very much looking forward to chatting about the Queensland Reds this week. It's going to be a difficult one to get through after the results of the trial game against the Waratahs yesterday. But nevertheless, a good result from the Reds and something we're definitely going to have to chat through and preview their season, which I'm very much looking forward to. Now, this is our preview episode of like our own Pick and Drive Rugby's preview episode of the Queensland Reds for 2024. If you are listening to this at the time of release, we do have an interview coming up later this week with Queensland Reds coach, Les Kiss. Depending on what time you are listening to this, if it is before Monday evening, that's at, at the time of, that's when we're sitting down to record that interview with Les Kiss. So if you're listening to this before that, Monday morning or Monday early afternoon, we do still have the opportunity to send your questions in for us so that we can ask those to Les. Uh, do make sure you do do that. So get onto our socials. Uh, the, the graphic went up this afternoon, so it's already up there. We do want to get your questions in. We we don't have a lot of time with Les, but we do have enough time to kind of go through the season and ask the, the best questions that do come in. So if you do have some questions, and there are some great ones coming in already, do make sure you do send them in because we, we love to form our chat around the questions that our, our friends and listeners do post to us. So what are we doing this episode? So we'll start things off with Around the Grounds, where we'll go through some of the results from the trials that took place over the weekend. We'll skim over the Waratahs and Reds because that was just a horrible performance from the Waratahs, and the less said about that, the better. Uh, hey, but we do have... Tree.
0: girls got up.
1: That's true. That is true. That That is very true. We'll, we're just going to focus on the girls wholeheartedly um, in that section. So we'll do Around the Grounds. Then we'll, Lockie's got some Reds trivia to test my knowledge of. And then we'll dive into our preview. So this is the first episode of two. The interview with Les Kiss will come out later in the week. Make sure you're keeping an eye on the feed um, to when that becomes available. Make sure you're listening to that as well. Give us a like and a follow. If you want to give us a review or let us know how you're thinking of the podcast so far in 2024, do please do that as well. Because all the numbers and feedback helps promote things in the aggregates and the charts and all those sort of things. So thanks for that, Lockie. Is there anything else I haven't said? Yet, Or should we just get into the trial form?
0: That was comprehensive as can be, Matt. Let's rip in.
1: Let's go. It's time to get into Around the Grounds, where we go through the trial games played for Super Rugby Pacific and some other games. Uh, in 2024. So, this is the second weekend of trials for both the New Zealand and the Australian teams. Uh, we will focus first on the New Zealand games that took place over the weekend. And if you missed our podcast last week, uh, you might not be aware, but some of the Kiwi teams are actually overseas. And so, they've taken uh, two of the teams have taken, well, one of them actually, the Crusaders are the only ones in Europe. Uh, so they're up in the Northern Hemisphere playing some teams up there, which is awesome to see. And then some of the other Kiwi sides are in Japan playing some of the Japanese teams over there. So running through the results, we had the Crusaders getting their first win in 2024 under their new coach, Rob Penny, 31-14 against the Bristol Bears. That's a good result for them. Um, we had in Japan, we had the Chiefs playing the Kubato Spears. They got the win there 35-30. to Uh, Also in Japan, we had the Blues playing the Cannon Eagles. 57-22 was the result in that game. And from all reports on social media, Caleb Clark just absolutely churned it up and turned it on in that game, man of the match performance. And probably the biggest result from the weekend and the biggest shock to us Australian fans was the all-Kiwi trial that was played in Invercargill Oh, well, no, Dunedin, sorry. Uh, the Highlanders hosting the Hurricanes, 52-19 in that game to the Highlanders. Now, that's that's a cracking result. Uh, say what you want about what the teams were put up and whether it was like an A team for the Hurricanes and the full-strength team for the Highlanders. 52-19 is a massive result and something that I'm thinking Highlanders fans are going to be very excited about.
0: Oh, absolutely. Everyone loves a preseason win. I know I do. I'm up and about and Highlanders fans should be as well. A couple of standouts from these games, Mitch. Levi Amua, uh, scary stuff. Seeing the big fella from Moana come across to Crusaders and he brained it against Bristol, scored two tries in the second half. If we don't see Amua in an All Blacks jersey very soon, I'll be very surprised. Caleb Clark, another big standout, as you mentioned. I think he got three over against um, Matty Phillips, uh, Yokohama Eagles. Uh, And one of the greats of the New Zealand game who slid back into action this week, Ryan Crotty back playing for the crusaders as well and slotted in there's still life in the old legs yet and i remember him causing us plenty of pain at super and blitters low level so i hope he's well but not too well
1: that's right that's right so the least minutes as possible for him but also a good good thorough season for him as well uh let's move across into the australian side of things and we'll start off with the game of the weekend and that was the Brumbies and the Western Force. Now this was a tight tight affair, 22-20 at full time to the Brumbies in that one. This was played over in Perth, so it was a home game for the Force. It was 10 all at half time and the Force scored a try on full time and they had a conversion attempt to tie things up and go into extra time. Unfortunately, they didn't weren't able to get that conversion, so the Brumbies did claim the victory 22-20. But from all reports, and unfortunately there wasn't a stream of this one, so we haven't been able to see, um, friend of the pod, as we called out last week, Brian Knight, was able to attend this game. And so he reported that it was a really good cracking hit out for both teams, both forward packs really willing to get in and um, sort of hit, give a big hit up to one another. Uh, just a great venue for rugby and a great day all round and great game to watch for Australian rugby. So I think the force will probably be, be upset that they weren't able to take it extra time and ice that that victory like they did last week against the Reds. But the fact that they've pushed the Brumbies as far as they did and hung with them all the way through the 80 minutes is a massive sign for them.
0: 100%. And seeing some of those Wallabies step up across both teams as well. Benny Donaldson getting on the chalk again. I saw that try through four socials. Really nice bit of work through the middle. Good support play. Uh, Billy Pollard, Corey Tool, Lenny Ketel all getting over the chalk. For Brumbies is a good sign. And it looks like it just came down to goal kicking. I mean, uh, Brumby's only made one conversion through Declan Meredith and then a couple of wayward shots at the end there. Could have been a different result.
1: We put it off far enough. I think it's time we talk about the smashing defeat that was 32-7 to the Queensland Reds in the, fest- the Santos Festival of Rugby. The Santos Cup does go to Queensland for the first time of four years. So well done to Queensland. You know, it took you four years, but you you did win it this time, and you did it very convincingly against the Waratahs. Uh, yes. Lucky, you're a, you're a Queenslander at heart, diehard Reds fan.
0: Were you impressed with this performance from the Reds? I was. I was impressed with the first half, at least. I thought, honestly, the second half was a bit of a scrap fest from both teams. But particularly across the opening half an hour, I thought we saw enough attacking play from. Uh, Les Kiss's team to for Reds fans to be excited, really excited against the Force. It didn't quite click, but that opening halfa really showed the expansive rugby that Kiss is trying to play. And it all boils down for me that first Paisami try, the big fellow getting space out wide, a nice peel from Jock Campbell, and just poor Joey Walton just getting a bit of a steamrolling from Straight the, the top. that was. I mean, yeah. one for the highlights, real. But also, I don't think the Reds played as well. As the scoreline suggests, Jock Campbell's try was very opportunistic, um, potentially a little bit of sort of shepherding as he got through the defense from a drop ball and then just two good maul tries from Matty Fazler. So when it boils down to it, I think it somewhat flattered the Reds for what was a dominant first half and then just devolved into that scrappy mud fest out in Roma. What were your takeaways for the Tars, Mitch?
1: Not a whole lot of takeaways or highlights for the Ties, unfortunately. Now, I do have to admit that I wasn't able to see the first half of this game. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch it live. So I was catching up on the stand sport replay and. For some reason, when you hit full replay, it started at halftime. So I saw the score at halftime was twenty nine nil, and I thought this can't be right. What? What? And then yeah, Sweeney and um, Frisbee are going around and talking about like the the tries that the the Reds had played had performed in the first half. I was like, okay, this must be what what it is. And um, second half started, and the Waratahs got that seven points from uh, Suli Vunavalu with the knockdown. But realistically, it didn't look like they were going to cross that chalk anytime in that second half. And it was a pretty disjointed performance from the Waratahs in that second 40. I haven't seen the first 40, so I don't know as much as what what you were saying. Um, Not a great look for the Waratahs. Not a great uh, preseason for them in 2024 so far. Convincingly beaten last week against the Rebels and then convincingly beating this week again against uh, the Reds. We didn't have a, a sort of hodgepodge team either. This was nearly a full-strength side. A few players still to come back for round one, but only one or two of them, really, when you look at the starting side that Darren Coleman did choose. Some, some of our Wallabies players back and some of our big names included in there and playing big minutes. So a lot of work to be done in the next two weeks before we go to Suncorp and play the Waratahs, uh, play the Reds in round one. Uh, I guess the highlight... For, and I don't even know if this is a highlight for the Waratahs, but it was 29 nil at half time, and the final score was 32. So they did keep the Reds two, only three points in that second half. But the Reds also made a lot of changes and changed things up too. So the, the Reds were really well and truly on top in this game. And the Waratahs had their opportunities, had a few, more, uh, a few scrum penalties. And at one point, I think it was the fifth scrum reset and kept going mm. to reset and reset and reset. Still weren't able to, to score any points from that. So the Reds did look good. I think the focus as well and the thing that we'll talk about as we get into our preview uh, later in this episode is the fact that the Reds were able in that second half to make changes and bring in players, particularly in that back line, and they didn't lose shape at all. They played the same style. They played the same attacking width. So Les Kiss definitely has um, got a style of game plan that he wants this Reds team to play, and they're definitely across the board, the 32 players, Are definitely buying into that and are starting to show that there isn't a whole lot of difference between that first 15 and the the reserves that come on.
0: 100%. And look, when you mentioned those scrums on the call, you know, it was a good split between Frisbee, who was getting a bit sick of it, and Swainer, who loves a bit of scrum battle. And that was a great thing to see in a trial match for a lot of, um, you know, seasoned super rugby heads, but also a lot of Wallabies going toe to toe up front, you know, there's huge contenders, Matty Fazler, Harry Johnson Holmes, the boys in the engine room having a crack at each other. You saw Alex Hodgman from the Reds beaming, coming up for a fifth scrum in a row. So it's good to get those um, early scrum Ks under the belt, if you like. I thought there was one standout that I really want to give a quick prop to. I thought Jock Campbell had a great mm. game. Um, there was that big chat about, you know, Pataia starting at fullback against the force and they swapped out at half time. But this time, Jock got the start and he set up a couple of tries early. He was really safe and solid. And I think at this stage, he's probably got his nose in front as far as the Reds fullbacks are concerned, which leaves the Reds in a really interesting position then with Jordan Pataya, who can cover everywhere from you know 11 through to 15. Where do you put him where there's all that depth in the Reds back line as well?
1: And what what a boot Bataya has got on him at the moment! Like what? I have, massive. I can't remember him making these massive clearance kicks. But at one point, he made sixty meters. It was crazy. It was like he's
0: also, he's just sorry, Tane Edmet as well. Like Jordan Bataya, massive clearances. I don't know whether the balls are lighter or they've just been working on that in the off season. But like, there were some monster clearances in that game.
1: Now we will, we will we'll move on, but that that point that you touched on about the fullback position, I do want to highlight that for the Waratahs. They've had Joey Walton playing fullback for the past two weeks due to some injuries to Max Jorgensen. Uh, it's worrying that they've got Joey Walton as their fullback who has little to no experience in that position and it has been shown so far in the trials this week. He does not look comfortable there at fullback, defensively out of position a number of times and just does not look settled with the back three around him. He looks much more settled when he's playing in the centres. So there will be changes come round one, I hope, because at the moment they are not looking like a defensive cohesive unit when uh walton's back at fullback and but we don't have an alternative unfortunately let's keep moving and so the next slide we want to talk about is the six nations now this did kick off last weekend so this is round two of the six nations two games have been played at the time of recording so we've had england hosting wales and then scotland against france uh the uh so in the first game we had England beating Wales 16 to 14, and controversially in the second game, although I think actually I think this game happened before the England game, but anyway, um, France beat Scotland 20 to 16 in very controversial circumstances. We'll focus on the England game first before we get into the controversy of the Scotland game. What were your thoughts? I know you love it when England can get up and win a game.
0: Ah. Oh. Wrong, wrong. I was rooting so hard for the Welsh. And with them up 14-5 at halftime, I thought, "Jesus, is a good opportunity. They hadn't beaten England at Twickenham since the 2015 World Cup. So huge hype coming into this one. Um, But just, again, the Welsh found a way to lose. Uh, Young centre Fraser Dingwall scored pretty late in the piece for England. Um, And then a late penalty goal um, put them up in the end. Got home by two points by the skin of their teeth. Not much to say from this one, if I'm honest, Mitch. Both teams not looking nearly up to their full potential. Um, You know, well short of a full tank at this point. There's some good signs coming out of Wales with um, Yohan Lloyd, who's a really promising utility player who jumped in at 10 for them. And uh, as far as English downouts go, I can't get enough of Freddie Stewart at fullback. He's still a really good player to watch.
1: Well, let's keep going into the controversy that was the, the final minutes of the Scotland-France game. Now, for those that haven't caught it, what happened was in the 80th or yeah, just over the 80th minute, Scotland were on France's try line and burrowing over and over to try and get the try. They did end up getting it over the line, and there was uh, a scrum, essentially, of players all around the ball. Uh, it was sent up to TMO. Nick Berry was the referee on the field, and he couldn't, convincingly say whether it was grounded. He had a view on the field of the ball on a player's foot or on a hand. Um, So he sent it up to, to, you know, determine whether it was a try or no try. And the TMO went back and forth a number of times and changed his decision. And ultimately at one point looked like he was going to give the try to Scotland, which would have seen them win the game and then changed his mind and said, actually, no, there's no clear and, and convincing evidence. To give the try, so let's say it's not. We can't overturn your decision, Nick. And it was held up. Game over. Controversial, controversy everywhere about this whole set of circumstances in the game. Scotland's fa- Scotland fans definitely have the uh, have the right to feel hard done by in the way that this was adjudicated. We won't say whether it was right or wrong, but it's it's a heartbreaking finish to a very intense and exciting game from both Scotland and France.
0: Look, it's tough, it's tough no matter which way you slice it. Looking at the score sheet, I think it was even Stevens, so I'm glad it was a close game. And climbing down to it that way. The first try that Scotland scored in the opening 10 minutes was just beautiful. Ben White finishing off eight pairs of hands and scoring again. Uh, Gail Ficou, French center, busted up the gutch, you know, showed he's got young legs under an old head and scored a brilliant breakout try. And Louis uh, Bielbieri the little French winger who reminds me a lot of Cheslin Colby. Actually, he's got a great chip and chase try um, to put them ahead at the death. But, yeah, it all comes down to how the referee sends it upstairs. And from what I could see, Nick Berry, Blue, I've, you know, my initial call is that it's held up do I don't want to send it upstairs and that's the way that it panned out. Um, personally, I thought it looked like it had been on the ground, but we don't have the eyes, we don't have the angles, and I think... Yeah, uh, Scottish fans have the right to feel aggrieved about that one. It would have set up the most amazing Six Nations if Scotland and Ireland continued because I think they would have met and they will meet in the final round. Yeah, it was really
1: it was a really exciting game all up and it would have been fantastic to see Scotland go on and win that and have their first two opening games in the Six Nations in 2024 be wins, but that isn't the way it panned out unfortunately. Let's keep moving. There was one final game we want to touch on before we get into our Reds preview, and that was the Waratahs Women, the Super W trial in Roma before the the Reds and the Waratahs played on Saturday night. Now this one was a convincing win to the Waratahs, twenty nine 0 against the Reds. Uh, standout performance from a few of the newer girls coming into the the um, the Waratahs setup. Annabelle Cody was the, the first player to cross the chalk for the Waratahs and seeing as is a former uh, Queensland Reds player herself, there was a lot of motivation for her to get that try and you could see that she really loved it when she got up and sort of gave it to some of the Reds girls as she was walking back.
0: Oh, it, was, it was a cracking game and I thought you'd want to touch on this one to finish off as a bit of a palate cleanser. Uh, but look, <laughs> at, I mean, keeping the Reds to a donut, great result for the Tars first up. And they will still get back players like... M Chancellor, Sarah Naigama, and there are the stacks of talent that are on the sidelines waiting to come in. So great to see uh, Arabella McKenzie back out on the park at 10. She had a great run. Uh, last year's Wallaroo debutante Desiree Miller scored a good try in the second half. Uh, it was all really set up off another big first half, Mitch. I think it was four tries to zip going into the break. Lane Morgan and Arabella McKenzie running riot through the halves there. And yeah, seeing Annabelle Cody after a couple of years in the Reds jersey surging around in a blue and scoring early, <laughs> that stings, absolutely stings. But um, great to see, great to see the girls back in action and great to see um, Brown Hoyt coming back into the mix. She'd been over with him, Chancellor, playing in Japan and she had a huge shift at Loosehead for the Tars as well. So I think if there's a season for the Fijiana to slip up, I think it's this one because the Tars, as much as I hate to say it, they look strong. They look really strong in 2024.
1: They really did. And they, it seemed like they came out with a point to prove in this trial game. They weren't pulling their punches. They were playing hard, fast rugby. They moved the ball so quickly through their mm. breakdown. That was a, a key element that I noticed from their performance from last season. Uh, it will be interesting to see as well. Uh, unfortunately, Bella McKenzie did get a red or a yellow card. Um for a forearm to the face. But there was a red card as well given to, and I can't remember who it was now, for the Reds.
0: There was. It was Alana el who was playing the centres for the Reds. A bit of high contact at the end out on the wing. I think it was on Jacinta Winsome maybe Um, out on the wing. I could have that wrong. Apologies. But, yeah, high contact just in the last five minutes. Uh, It looked like shoulder to the head. That's a straight red with no mitigating factors. So we'll see if there's any repercussions from there. Um, but a shame because I thought LSI had defended really well up until that point, but can't take it off people's heads.
1: That's right. And that's something that we know that rugby, Australia and world rugby even is is focusing intently on in this next few years. Hopefully that doesn't inf- affect her game time in this season and it doesn't flow through because it was while it was head contact and there was force there, it wasn't intentional and it wasn't, it didn't have much effect on, unfortunately, but it was a red card. And well done to the refereeing team on the day who handled that superbly with little backup from in forms of TMO and and replays and that type of thing. So well done to everyone involved there. I think we've gone through our, uh, our around the ground section pretty, pretty well. So let's move into our Queensland Reds preview for 2024. Let's go.
0: Alrighty, Mitch, it is Queensland Reds trivia time, your favorite team, all our favorite teams. <laughs> 5 questions, 5 points on the line, there are no bonus points and there are no silver medals for second place. You ready to go?
1: Oh, yeah, ready to go. Let's do it. Let's see okay. how much I right. know.
0: So, question 1, for those listening on home, who is the Queensland Reds highest point scorer? Is it A, Elton Flatley? B, Michael liner or C Quade Cooper.
1: Ooh, I'm going to go. Oh, C Quade Cooper.
0: Ooh, he's just swung and missed on the first question. It Damn. was the legendary. Michael liner. B was the answer to that question. Michael liner has over 1,100 points for Queensland. Um, some dispute whether it's um, in the one or one but that's semantics. It is liner coming in though. Quade Cooper did have the most points for a single season, two hundred and twenty-eight, when the Reds got the win. Moving on to question two: Who is the most capped Queensland Red of all time? Here are the options: Is it a Sean Hardman, the glove-wearing hooker? B David Croft, the bold open-side flanker? Or is it C, the one and only Will Gennier? Most caps for Queensland.
1: Oh, I have no idea here. I'm going to go with B.
0: B, David Croft is locked in. He's missed out. He's missed out, unfortunately. Sean Hardman, spiky spiky black hair and a debonair attitude. 148 caps for the Queensland. He's yet to be topped, Sean Hardman. Good and a yeah, captain of the wallabies from memory. It was a tough time with Jeremy Paul and Brendan Cannon, a stack of good players. Then number three, see if we can break this duck here, Mitch. <laughs> Who is the most capped Queensland captain of all time? Is it A John Eels? B John Rowe. Or is it C James Horwell? I'm gonna go A, John Eels most cap Queensland captain of all time. That is three swings and misses, unfortunately. It. it is James Horwill, the one is and only. It? He has 69, wow. 69 caps as Queensland skipper. Um, John Rowe was next after him from memory. Yeah, there he was, next up. Johnny was a bit further down the track. Played under Dang a lot it. of different Queensland skippers and didn't always hold dual roles. Oh, tough start, tough start here. <laughs> Not doing that jersey. Any favours here, mate? Question not four. At all. Can he redeem himself? Question four on the back straight. Who has the record for most tries for the Queensland Reds? Is it A, Ben Tune? Is it B, Brendan Moon? Or is it C, the one and only Tim Horan?
1: Jeez. Again, no idea. But I'm going to go with Tim Horan. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> no, no, not again. Oh, no. It's Brendan Moon. Brendan Moon had 69, flying winger in the 80s and 90s. Ben Shun and Tim Horan, also legends of the game, but Brendan Moon's record still stands. Mitch, we are looking at 0-4. We cannot, cannot (laughs) tolerate a clean sweep in here. So a chance to redeem yourself. Question five. This is the big one. Which of these Wallabies has not been head coach of the Queensland Reds? So, which has not been head coach? Is it A. Okay. Tata Kefu, B. Andrew Slack, or C. Nick Styles? Which has not been a head coach of the Reds? B. Andrew Slack. Ladies and gentlemen, it's happened. We have a zero and five. Oh, worst time in the season. The answer was Tadai Kefu has not been a head coach of the Reds Andrew slack 2002 and 2003 and Nick Styles as co coach and then standalone in the late teens and early twenties Mitch what do we do here do we get oh, is there geez. is there a chance to redeem yourself somehow oh look um
1: I've got no words really I think the the only the only thing that could make this any better was if Ando was here and he also got 0 from 5 which I'm I'm thinking that he probably would have as well although he might have got one or two of them because he wouldn't have gone with my answers but it is what it is we're New South Wales fans so the proofs in the blowing well you take the bull well out done done to out of it lucky
0: no no I'm I'm disappointed I'm disappointed in me <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them easier next time. I've gone too hard. I've gone too hard into the paint with some 80s and 90s there. I've learned my lesson.
1: It's good. It was that's... good. It was good trivia. Let us know at home, those playing along at home, how many you got, if I'm the only one that's, um, that, that didn't get a point in the trivia section. At least, I guess the only consolation is that, you know, as I've said 100 times, I'm a Waratahs fan. If I was, if this was the Waratahs trivia and I got zero from five, then, we'd have lots of more things to talk about, and um, that's not the case. But let's move on now into our Reds preview for 2024. Now, to start like we do every week in these previews, we're going to start by looking at their 2023 season. So in 2023 in Super Rugby Pacific, the Reds finished in eighth place. Overall, they had five wins and nine losses. Their best performance we've gone with was their 22-25 win over the Chiefs. That was in New Zealand towards the end of the season. Um, they did struggle throughout most of the season to get wins against the Kiwi side. So the fact that they were able to get that victory over the Chiefs, particularly in New Zealand, because they haven't they hadn't up until that point won there for about two or three seasons in a row, was great to get that off the back of off their back.
0: It's down there because it was a 10-year, I think, at the end of the day, 10-year losing streak in New Zealand. So Brad Thorne's coach had never won in New Zealand in his whole time there, and he was there for about 90 games. So massive to get that monkey off his back. Um, I think Reds fans definitely will remember uh, that extra time. It went into about almost four or five minutes of extra time, 27 phases they held out, and eventually holding up the Chiefs over the line. So a massive deal for them. But I've got to be honest, Mitch that performance couldn't paper over what was a huge mid-season slump. Do you want to take us through some of those results?
1: Yeah, so we've, we've put it down there as their key games. There was three games, particularly in the middle of the season last year, that were both played at home and away that the Reds just didn't perform well. So there, that was, uh, it started off in round, actually I don't even know what round that was, but um, against the Melbourne Rebels, They got done at Amy Park 40-34. The following week, they went back home to Suncorp Stadium and got smashed by the Crusaders 25-12. Back-to-back at home, they then, after that loss, they played the Brumbies and got beaten 52-24, which was not a great uh, look for the Reds. And there were some big questions being asked at that point around the fact that they weren't putting in good performances at home. They did then um put in a, a pretty decent performance when they went to Samoa and played Moana Pacifica in Appia, uh, and they won their 40-28. So three games in a row and two of them being at home where they got pretty outrightly smashed by their opposition.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to those takeaways in the bottom right for those watching on YouTube. Heavy losses at home, but just the home record overall for the Reds last year, two from seven is not a great look, especially when you've got the upper hand there with the seven home games. And, you know, 50, leaking 50 to the Brumbies at home, no good. And then you look at what they did when the Blues came to town, 45 to 26, a bit later on the year. It really sucked a lot of momentum out of the Red season. And if there's anything that the Reds need to look at, it's doubling down those home games because they are so valuable. We know how short the season is. And we talked about it for the Tars and um, the Force as well. You've got to win your home games. It's just critical.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's something that Les Kiss is hopefully moving in the right direction of. And he's already spoken about in some of his interviews already this season about you know playing for Queensland again and playing for the people and making them proud. So he definitely understands how important it is to win at home. And to get those victories for the, the Queensland faithful. So let's move across into the squad for 2024. I'll run through the forwards um, and Lockie, you do the backs. So we'll start off with the props. So we've got George Blake, uh, Massimo Delutis, Seth Fagagasi, Alex Hodgman, Zane Nongor, Penny Ravi, Jeffrey Tumunga Allen. In the hooking stocks, we've got Richie Asiata, Max Craig, Matt Fazler, and Josh Nasser. In the locks, Angus Blythe, Cormac Daly, Tian Rory, Ryan Smith, and Connor Vest. And in the back row, Connor Anderson, Joel Braille, uh, Joe Bryant, Fraser McWright, Sarah Uru, Harry Wilson, and Liam Wright. Now, there are some big names missing from the Reds' lineup in 2023, particularly in the propping department. Taniel tupo is a player that we highlighted in our uh, Melbourne Rebels preview. But there are some other big names coming in and big names going out for the Reds in 2020 for, for the, the front row or the Ford pack. What, which name here are you most excited about um, in seeing sign for the Reds this season?
0: Oh, short term, it's Alex Hodgman. Um, he's had a huge impact already from what I saw in that game against the Tars. Massive shift in the second half with all those big scrums coming in having an all black never hurts, never hurts your chances. Long-term, Massimo DeLutis, having a 120-keg tight head who's barely out of school and into his 20s is a huge, huge thing for the Reds to have as an asset up their sleeve. Obviously, behind the pecking order, people like Zane Nongor, Tumanga Allen, um, George Blake, some of those bigger props as well. But DeLutis has huge wraps for the future. We'll get into it a bit more in the departures and arrivals, Mitch, but let's have a look at the backs now. And starting off with our scrum halves, Tate McDermott, Kalani Thomas, Louis Wershon coming into the full-time squad next this year uh, in favour of Spencer Jeans. Uh, Fly halves, Lawson Crichton, Tom Liner, and the young gun, Harry McLaughlin Phillips, filling out those positions. In the centres, Taj Annan, Josh Fluke, Frankie Goldsborough, Isaac Henry, James O'Connor, and Hunter Paisami listed. And in the outside backs, Floyd Aubrey, Jock Campbell, Matt Greeley, Jordan Pataya, Tim Ryan, and Suliasi Vernivalu. We're just jumping back into those departures and arrivals now and you've got to say the biggest is quite frankly the biggest person Taniela tupo leaving the Reds bitch. Uh I know I'm going to try and paper over it and have a good time with it, but he is a massive loss.
1: He is, but I think the Reds and we saw last season for them that Tanya Latupo did play any minutes for them uh in 2023 and he he's become a player that they relied on so heavily in this, in 2021 to 2022 in their seasons that he played big minutes and and most weeks was playing 80 minutes for for them. Um, it's not something he particularly wanted to do, and it it's it we have since seen that the effect that that has had on his body. It broke down. He wasn't able to have as much impact at the World Cup or for the Wallabies in that season as he would have liked. Um, he's just getting injury after injury, ankles and Achilles and all types of different sort of lower um body injuries for him there so I think in some ways it's it is losing a player of Daniela Tupo's um, talent and ability is always going to hurt but the fact that the Reds didn't have him last year and that they have had they do have players who can slot in and do a job when he wasn't there um is probably a good thing for them and it, it's in some ways I think it might even be, Uh, A blessing in disguise to Les Kiss to not have a player of Taniela Tupo's stature and sort of international renowned playing for a team like the Reds because overall they're still a fairly young and inexperienced squad. They don't have a whole lot of Wallabies representation if you look at the squad that Eddie Jones picked last season. Um, So to not have a player like Taniela Tupo, who everyone's watching and expecting big things from, means that he can do things with other players and give them game time and um, just share that workload around when he doesn't have sort of RA breathing down his neck saying, you know, is Tupo going to play this week? You know, can he play big minutes? Can it, can you rest him this week? Those types of things.
0: Yeah. And look, it's certainly fast tracked the development of players like Zane Nongor who have gone from, you know, young bench super rugby players learning their craft to all of a sudden, you know, being out there at a World Cup for the Wallabies. Regardless of how it panned out on the field, that's probably fast tracked to tight head youngsters development like his three, four, five years in just one season. So there's always a silver lining to that kind of stuff. And it probably leads us nicely into our most valued players of the year, Mitch. And we'll get started with the man that I just mentioned, Zane Nongor, stepping into the tight head shoes. He's now the big guy there. Tani Alitupo injured all last season. though He stepped up and I think he had 11 from 13 he started in the three jersey. Without a tight head, we all know you don't have a scrum. So heaps riding on Zane Nongor's shoulders this season. What about some of the others, Mitch, that we've got up on the screen?
1: Yeah, so for all the other players and those that are listening on and not look, watching on YouTube, we've named Tate McDermott, Fraser McWright, Zane Nongor and Hunter Paisamy as our most valuable players for the Reds. And some of these inclusions do come out of the performance of the trial game over the Waratahs on the weekend. Hunter Paisami is a player uh, who, again, like Taniela Tupo, was in and out of the Reds' setup last season, had injuries, didn't play a whole lot of minutes. Probably we would have liked to see him more in a jersey for Queensland, but he looked really fit. He looked strong and he was having some massive involvements for the Reds against the Waratahs, as we already highlighted in our um, wrap-up of that game, barging over Tane Edmund, making him look like a speed hump basically to get over for that try. Uh, If he can get back to the form that he's had a few seasons ago where he was just that big abrasive number 12 and just would truck up and make meters on the advantage every single time he touched the ball, then that's going to give the players around him and the centers and particularly the back three players for the Queensland Reds so much more space and time um, that we know they have that talent to really unleash. Um, Focusing on that trial game uh, against the Waratahs, particularly this Waratahs one and not so much the, the Western Force game earlier, but Fraser McWright had massive involvements and was nearly at every single breakdown, And I think, as I said earlier, I only saw the second half, but I I counted at least four turnovers from Fraser McRae at that breakdown. And so he's going to be instrumental if he can continue to do it so effectively as he did against the Waratahs this season, just across the board in Super Rugby Pacific, hit every single breakdown and get those clean balls for the, the Queensland Reds. It's going to be massive for them.
0: Huge, especially that combination now at six, seven, eight is really established for the Reds have been there, you know, since Brad Thorne came into play, that sort of Liam Wright, Fraser McWright, Harry Wilson, that's a consistent access and they're starting to play like it. Fraser's so important in that league play as well. So he's in the incumbent Wallaby seven as well, given Michael Hooper's in sevens now. So huge, yep. huge season ahead for him and a lot to play up to as well. It's not just, you know, what he's capable of, it's can he stay ahead of the likes of the other seven snapping at his heels Another player with Prince De prove and incumbency, Tate McDermott. Huge season ahead for him as well. Seems a bit obvious when you're talking about your co-captain and a Wallaby scrum half, but he adds so much to the yeah. Reds in attack. The speed of play, his eyes up footy around the quick tap and what he delivers around the ruck. He's going to have a massive season, Mitch.
1: Yeah, he really is. I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops in 2024. Um, just the leadership that he took over last season with uh, – With Liam Wright together, those co-captains, like he just grows as a player when he gets those types of responsibilities, and to see him lead the team around at Roma this weekend, the more he does that, you know. At the moment, we don't have a Wallabies captain. We don't know what Joe Schmidt's going to do. Could take McDermott push for that starting nine jersey? Uh, Nick White, you know, he's he's aging. There are other options in Australian rugby, but Tam McDermott's definitely got his hand in the conversation. So, um, I'm really expecting a big year from him. Let's keep looking. Let's keep going now and look at the season overall for the Queensland Reds. Now, if we had to um highlight some of the strengths that we're expecting to see from the Reds this season, what what sort of jumps to mind, Lockie?
0: Well, it's up there for our um, viewers on YouTube, but one thing we talked about off our line as well, Mitch, is the depth around the back line, particularly around the centres. I think they're spoilt for choice under Les Kiss at the moment. You look at you know, the likes of Jordan Pattaya, Hunter Paisami, Josh Fluke, James O'Connor are all kinds of players that you can throw around in the 12, 13 area. Plenty of young playmakers, Tom Liner and Harry McLaughlin Phillips, among the best younger talent, you'd have to say, going around Australia at the moment, and then... Out the back, players like Vinavalo, uh, Jock Campbell, there's stacks um, up and coming as well. So I think that plays to their strength as well. And it certainly leans into that freewheeling style that Leskis is trying to implement. It's a lot of balls out the back. It's a lot of width and stretching teams from side to side. So the stronger your backs and with the depth that they have, I think they're in a pretty good position. On the flip side, you'd have to say that they're a little light on in the second row. The addition of Cormac Daly has been a big deal for them off season, but still it shoots your season, doesn't make a super rugby player. Mitch, what do you reckon about their stocks there?
1: Yeah, it's it's an area in super rugby for all the Australian sides that we don't have a whole lot of depth and and clear talent for. Um, and they the, the Reds are another team that have two good players that will start for them in the locking position in four and five jersey. But then when you, you go down that next list and you get an injury or two in that department, that you're then starting to really scrape the talent and scrape the experience particularly. So um, the Reds are like all the other Aussie teams that when it gets to the second or third choice lock coming in there, you're starting to look at hybrid options. You're starting to, um, you know, play players out of position to sort of fill those numbers, and that's just not where you want to be at this level.
0: 100%. And then we talked about it earlier, Mitch, but just making sure that they start winning those crucial games at home. We saw last year it was a killer two from seven. If they roll out that again this year, you can almost kiss finals goodbye with how competitive the super rugby competition is at the moment.
1: Yeah, and we've, we've highlighted them as banana skin games and not just the the home games that the the Reds will have at Suncorp um, or Ballymore if they do play some of those games there, not yet to be officially announced whether they play any more games other than trials at Ballymore this season. But uh, going overseas and playing like the Drua in Fiji or playing Moana Pacifica in In new zealand or in uh in samoa like they did last year they should be winning those games but the travel element comes in and there are younger inexperienced side that the travel element and longer periods of travel like that often means that they lose those games and they don't play as effectively and they make the wrong decisions on the field when under pressure that they wouldn't have done had they been at home so if they lose two or three of those types of games throughout the season. Um, that could potentially just derail everything for them. And then they're looking at, you know, that eighth spot uh, and really just look, not, the season's not in their hands anymore. And they're, um, you know, they're not determining where they finish in the top eight and they, or whether if they are in that top eight at all. So where, so where do you,
0: where do you we, oh, sorry, no, we... I was going to say, where together. do you see them finishing? Well, I think they're going to finish. I think they're going to play finals again. The challenge is to see whether they have the capacity to push for a home quarter final, I think a top four is probably overly optimistic for your average Queensland fan. I'm obviously putting my hand up and saying I'm biased and I want them to get there. But I think they'll play finals. I think they'll push up higher than eighth.
1: Yeah, we've got them on our graphic there, finishing in seventh, where we said they'd finish last year. Last year, they did finish in eighth. Uh, I, Leading into this weekend, I had the the Reds potentially missing out on finals footy. I wasn't sure how they were going to go under Les and adapting to a new style of gameplay. But I've got to say their performance against the Waratahs, like they looked slick, they looked fit, they moved the ball really well. And the and as we've highlighted earlier, the players that came on for replacements played the same style of gameplay and it didn't look like there was a much of a, a change in um, skill level for those players coming in. So if they can find a style of play that they want to play through Super Rugby this season and stick to it, and no matter who comes in and wears the number on the back of the jersey, they all play consistently, then there's no reason they can't finish higher than than sixth, seventh, you know, fifth, maybe.
0: First, second, you know, we'll just toss it up in the air. We'll see what happens, but I think... Win the season. To- you heard it here first. They win the preseason, they win the season. But let's have a look at those jerseys because I was keen to quickly chat this through before my battery, which is rapidly dwindling, Mitch. (laughs) We'll get through this in just a tick. I got 4%, so apologies if I'm speaking quickly. Uh, They haven't released their away kit yet. Last year's was the white Indigenous design. Um, A lot of pink and purple through it. I thought it was really cool, but nothing yet on the away kit. Home is a good, strong, standard maroon. I know it's not your colour, Mitch, but what do you think of the Queensland home jersey?
1: Look, not the, the amount of white on it sort of throws me off, I think. The the white on the sleeves, there's a, a band of white across the top of the shoulders that when this was first announced at the end of last year, it looked very much like a Rashi. And it hasn't <laughs> changed, in my opinion. It still kind of looks like that. Um, it's interesting to think, to, to notice that Canterbury has gone back to the 2007, 2008 kind of design that the Waratahs had with the little, like, um, i don't even know what you'd call it but it's a sort of like this wavy bit under the under the sort of the the collar on the jersey and it's got a little white tab around the Mm. top that the the wallabies had um as well so yeah interesting to see that they've gone back to that sort of cut of of jersey
0: everything old is new again it's a it's an interesting one the jersey is growing on me i think i still would love to see a nice big collar just like this one i've got one of the old training kits on bring it back all the people want collars although Once again, I think the Reds are smashing it with their warm-up tees. Last year's Pacifica one was great, and this one is big and bright. I'm not sure if I like it as much as the 2023, but, geez, they do a good job with these kids. It
1: does look good, and if they can continue to do this kind of, like, element and design into their – incorporating into their match day prep, uh, I think that's a great thing for – the Queensland Reds moving forward. Let's um let's finishing things there. Thanks everyone for getting to this point of the podcast. Lucky if this does um if your battery does go, then thank you for joining me tonight. Just another final shout out that if you are listening early enough, we have an interview with Les Kiss on Monday afternoon. So do make sure you send those questions through to us so we can ask Les. Um, and if not, oh there he goes, he's gone. Well, thanks Lucky for joining me this evening, uh, and. We'll be back later in the week with that interview with Les Kiss. So thanks everyone. We will be back later in the week and uh, we'll do our preview of the Brumbies next Sunday as well. We'll catch you then. Bye.